What's going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome back to the show. It is time for another brand new episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I am Andrew for America and people. I did it. I did it. I finally proved to myself that I might be on to something with this whole podcasting thing. For a long time, I was experiencing what some people refer to as imposter syndrome. Why is anybody listening to me? Do I really have anything to say? Do I really have any good ideas? Am I on to something with all my research and bullshit? Or am I a fraud? Am I a farce? Am I just some flash-in-the-pan, idealistic, partisan hack, conspiracy theorist, nutjob idiot, right? Well, today, people, I uh, gained some self-esteem. And I feel like I proved to myself that I actually might be on to something with this whole podcasting thing. I feel like I did a good job interviewing the biggest guest I have had on my show thus far since I started this podcast. My fellow Americans, today I had the pleasure of sitting down with libertarian candidate for governor of the great state of New York, Mr. Larry Sharp. I can't believe he accepted my invitation. But he did. And we had one banger of a conversation that I'm going to share with you good fine people today. But before I share this with you, this very intellectual, thought-provoking, pragmatic, best intentions of the whole in mind, solutions-based conversation that myself and Larry Sharp had. I want to ask you, my fellow Americans, my politics and punk rock podcast fans and listeners, my audience, today in this episode, let's all of us just take that D or that R that we like to attach to our names that signifies our team in comp in competition with some other team. Let's just put down the ball. Let's just lay down our sticks and our guns and our weapons. Today's not about competition. Today's about cooperation. Today's about coming together to learn, to grow, to achieve our goals, to reach across the aisle, to shake hands, to stop treating each other horribly, slinging mud, ad hominems, emotional attacks, venom. And today, let's just come together and join forces. Let's be on the same team for once. Team America, right? <laughs> don't, don't we all live in this country together? Don't we have to consider 
the thoughts, feelings, ideas, and beliefs of our quote-unquote enemies? Are we really enemies, people? Do you want to continue going the way we've been going? Do you think the world's getting better? And if your answer is no, maybe you should ask yourself, maybe it's because I'm checked out. I've surrendered. I gave up. I've been taking L's for so long. I've been lied to for so long by any authority figure and my government and even you know, f- f- uh, friends, family, and peers sometimes even betray us, lie to us. And if you, if you put too much faith in people, if you put certain people, aristocrats, authority figures up on a pedestal and believe everything that they tell you without question, maybe that's why our country is in the situation that it's in. Maybe it's because we all gave up. We all gave in. We all threw in the towel. We all surrendered. It's too tough. It's too hard. Why try? People, we're Americans. This is America. Freedom loving, liberty loving. Tough, resilient, courageous, entrepreneurial, ambitious. Not wanting to be ruled over by some omnipotent, oligarchical, totalitarian government. Isn't that what we all want? Or is it time to throw in the towel? Is it already too late? How do we turn all of this negative around and start moving in the right direction? Well, my fellow Americans, I would wager that the answer to that question does not involve continuing to vote for Republicans and Democrats, continuing to vote for either of the two establishment parties that are on the same team. And if you continue to put your faith in, you will continue to get the same old thing, the same status quo, the opposite of hope and change for all of you fans of Obama. Today, I want you to listen to the very common sense, pragmatic, solutions-based answers that Larry gives to my questions. I tried to push him a little bit on certain things, I tried to not agree with every single thing he said, although I do agree with a lot of what he said. I tried to be a moderator in a way that wasn't biased. And I don't know if I achieved that. I guess you all can be the judge of that. But I think that there is a lot for all of you people, a lot that you all can learn from this conversation. At what point Do we stop trying to be Machiavellian and be so us versus them? I want my team to win at the cost of virtue, principle, morality, decency. 
What's good for the goose doesn't always have to be good for the gander, people. It doesn't have to be an eye for an eye. We're going to have to figure something out, people. And I think Larry Sharp is on to something. I think a lot of his ideas make sense. And I hope you do, too. We talk about a lot of awesome stuff on the show today. We talk about uh, how podcasts are the f- are going to be the future of media. We talk about the importance of trusted sources of information. We talk about our military service, uh, the perils of discovering the realities of this world, the two-party system, getting the money out of politics. Why is it so impossible for a third party to get ballot or debate access? How voluntarism works and how modern leadership by definition is voluntarism. We talk about how confusing uh, capitalism with oligarchy is a rampant occurrence that I have tried to make the distinction between in the past on this show. Larry talks about his introduction into the uh, liberty movement through a guy named Robert Ringer. I talk about mine through Harry Brown. Uh, He talks about Ayn Rand and objectivism and how Ross Perot, uh, when Ross Perot came into the political realm back in the day, he scared the crap out of the establishment. And what they did to Ross Perot is similar to what they're trying to do to Larry. Uh, The second time around for Larry, he talks about in this interview, uh, they were ready for him and they shut him down. And he's basically a write-in candidate now at this point. And his story today, people, is a perfect real-world facts-based example of some of the things I've been talking about on this podcast since episode one. I really love Larry's idea of we got to create more Davids in society to knock down the Goliaths, the oligarchs that want to monopolize the market that the government is in bed with. We talk about the importance of courage and perspective. We talk about the spirit of America and how America has become its father. You guys will love that set of stories that Larry goes over today. And we talk about uh, the need for all of us to accept the challenge. I think that Larry, that's what Larry did. When he tells his story about how he got, you know, how he threw his hat into the political sphere. He was getting ready to leave the state of New York. He was getting ready to run away and let someone else solve the problem. It's already too late. Why fight? Why try, right? So much easier to just surrender, to give up, to run away like a coward. Larry said, no. I have a sense of responsibility. I feel a sense of duty. I feel like it is my job to lay the foundation, to set up a framework for other people to follow in the future. If we really want to turn this country around, or our state around, or our little locality around, you got to be courageous. You got to get involved. You got to get educated. (laughs) You got to be tough. You got to be resilient. You got to be all the things that the average American no longer is, in my humble opinion. 
I loved this conversation. This conversation proved to me that I feel like I'm getting good at this. And I hope you guys feel the same way. I hope you guys enjoy episode 112 of the Politics and Punk Rock podcast entitled Larry Sharp. Let's go knock out this Anchor commercial. Go grab a beverage, strap on your seatbelt, and when I come back, be prepared to be wowed by some great, common-sense, pragmatic, realistic, solutions-based ideas that are free from hidden agendas, partisan BS, etc. Okay? Just consider it. That's all I'm asking. Just consider the things that we talk about in this conversation. You can agree or you can disagree. I don't care. So long as you learn, so long as you come to the table and sit down with an open-minded, cooperative attitude. If you can do that, then you are in the right place. You should continue listening to this podcast. (laughs) I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How's it going? Welcome back to the show today, my fellow Americans. I have the pleasure and the honor of welcoming to the Politics and Punk Rock podcast from New York, libertarian candidate for governor, Mr. Larry Sharp. Sir, how you doing? Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Of course, glad to be here. I'm I'm very happy that uh, you decided to take the time. I appreciate it. Right, the uh, as as you will hear me say often, podcasts are the future of media. It's just it's going to happen. You see more and more people, more and more people are deciding to get their information from some guy or gal they trust more than some guy or gal they foisted on us sure. from ABC or CNN or Fox or whatever is a, the station you listen you listen to. Yeah, they're. Uh... Uh, I've I've heard a lot of people talking, a lot of uh, commentators recently talking about this move from left wing media to right wing media. You know, Potato Head getting fired from CNN and all the controversy around Cuomo, and I guess he's starting to try uh, uh, a new venture with a new show. I just read today, so uh, I definitely yeah, he he's not a person anymore, Andrew, and I know you that? believe him. He's not partisan anymore, and I'm sure you believe him. <laughs> I have a hard time believing that, but. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But see, I you think, brought up uh, a point that I want to bring up, what you just said right now, yeah. right? It isn't only entertainment. It is that. But there's something else, right? There's a trust level that we have with certain people. 
And someone's going to watch your show, Andrew, and say, you know what? I don't trust that guy. And they're not going to watch again. For sure. And others are going to going to listen and go, you know, that, I, I trust that. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's going to say that and they're going to keep watching and they're going to, and then all of a sudden something's going to happen in their life, right? They're going to see some event happen. Their friends are going to tell them, oh, this thing happened. And they're going to be, you know what? What's Andrew think? And yeah. not because necessarily they think you're the super smartest guy in the world. You might be, but they might not think that. But they're going to think you're going to give them the honest opinion. And that's what they want. 100%. And that's what my, like, my, the tagline of my show is a show for intelligent truth seekers who love punk rock music and have an earnest desire to save the world. And that's yep. what it comes down to is that, that eternal quest for truth. And yes. we just talked about very briefly in the pre show that uh, the distrust of mainstream media is now becoming generational. And yes. people are passing down to their, to their children at this point to be very skeptical and very discerning about the information they're getting. And I think there is going to be a move towards alternative media and podcasts, et cetera, in the future. Absolutely. hundred so. percent. I have a daughter who's 18, another one who's 12. My 12 year old doesn't watch TV anymore. And my 18 year old used to watch TV when she was very little. She used to watch some of the, like the, the cartoons for little kids when she was like three and four years old. Now, she didn't watch TV either. And now I find myself, most of my information comes, I, most of my information believe it or not comes from my team sending me things Then I do my own research. That's what usually happens. That's rare that I go on TV and That's go, we should news guy, yep. tell, tell me the news. It's rare I do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a crazy world out there. A lot has changed uh, in my lifetime. Um, just so you know a little bit about me, I'm prior military. I did four years in the Navy, two Western Pacific deployments, one in 97, one in 99. I often talk uh, a lot about feeling lucky that I got out right before 9-11 and, yep. and all that change of, uh, of the world really occurred. And um, I recently mentioned how we're getting very close to the 21-year-old kids out there are now uh, in a gener generation that that 9-11 uh, terrorist attack, quote unquote, is in the rearview mirror. They don't know the world that existed before that. Yes. So what absolutely. are your thoughts on that? Well, I am I am uh, a little older than you. I joined the Marine Corps in 1985. <laughs> okay. So a little bit older. So so yes. Uh, but I, I spent uh, several years in the Marine Corps. And I, the, the, the war that I remember was the Gulf War. I was in during the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. And I remember being very, very upset about it. Not because I was anti-war at that time. I am now, but I wasn't then. I was a young Marine trying to do the cool stuff, right? Trying to be, trying to be tough guy, right? So I was trying to back then. And I remember I was so motivated that they, I had to stay in um, here stateside and train reservists to go overseas. Oh, wow. What? Yes. Yeah, so reservists who had jobs, who had lives... They had to go fight a war, and I was like, "I'll go." And they're like, "No, no, That's you're amazing. motivated. You stay and get." And I'm like, "What? Something's up, right? Something that that made me think something's going on, right? I didn't like that at all. That really, and it was actually my uh, that made me want to leave. That made me want to get out. At that point, yeah. I was ready to go. I was like this, this is not real. This is something. This is something else. It wasn't what I thought it was, which is one of the reasons why I think you see so many military people, particularly Marines, but all different types, who move towards the liberty movement." Because I think most of us, and I would assume you were the same, most people who join the military, they're joining because they want to do the right thing, right? Some don't. There's always some bad apples. 
But I think most of them join because they want to do the right thing. Sure. They want to fight for freedom and liberty. They want to do the right thing. And then they sit in there for four years, eight years and go, you know what? I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> I'm not doing, I'm doing none of that. And then they come home and say, now what? And now many of them, they're, they're lost. The liberty movement is a movement that will often bring them in. But even that is difficult for veterans. You know this. I mean, it's tough for veterans to find that, to find what they were looking for. They thought it was there. It's not there. And they come out and it seems to not be here either. And they struggle. So, yes, that's a long way of saying I'm disappointed. Yeah, it's uh, I, the way I kind of look at it is I, I actually just uh, I did an interview with a guy, uh, uh, Brody from the Secret Squ uh, Squirrel podcast. He's a prior army guy that uh, uh, was in uh, the Gulf, Persian Gulf, and uh, he was actually the focus of a book called Kuval uh, by hmm. an English uh journalist that was embedded over there i forget the guy's name but very fascinating story this guy has been through hell and back he has more reason to uh have you know grievances that he would like to have redressed uh more than anybody in my opinion and and uh, he told me some stories about uh things that he experienced during his military time in germany uh where he started scratching his head and saying wait a second you know there's some this is not you know what i thought like you said it's it, it this isn't what i thought it would be and furthermore not only is it not what i thought it would be i'm learning some realities of this world that i don't know mm -hmm. if i was 100 percent prepared for and i think that's where the light switch goes off and yes. uh, you you mentioned the research that we all start doing i want to know what's really going on i want to get ahead of yep. things i want to be able to predict things and i just think that that's a good way to live when compared to the average NPC American, sadly, civilian, that gets 100% of their news and information about the world from the mainstream media. So, Well, the um, other thing you're bringing up, which is important, right? I think America has lost its way. There's a thing I often say, and I think about my father. I'm going to go a little bit down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but sure. stay with me if you don't yeah. mind. My Absolutely. father was a very typical father from the, you know, grew up in the 40s and 50s. And you spank your kids and you hit them when they're bad. Right, Barry. My father, though, was a little bit aggressive on the hitting part and tended to hit first and ask questions <laughs> later. But right. with that in mind, he still loved me. I love my father. Absolutely. It's but tough. I thought as I got, as I got, as I became a parent myself and I had girls and not boys, and I thought, you know what? Maybe I don't want to hit my girls. Maybe it's not the right answer, particularly if I have in me a bit of, of my father in me, right? I know I have my father sure. in me, so I decided, you know what? I'm not going to strike my girls. Look, Parent as you see fit. This is this is not for you. This is right for me. I have in me a bit of aggression from my father that I did not want to impose upon my children. You may not have that in your world. I do. So I thought, you know what? I'm not going to. I didn't want to become my father, right? I want to take the good, not the other thing. So I decided to do that. That's very hard. Why do I say that? Because America has become its father. Our father was the British Empire. And we have become an empire. Our father fought in the Middle East. We fight in the Middle East. Our father fought for oil. We fight for oil. Our father had the largest Navy in the world. We are the largest Navy in the world. Our father, our father had empire, bases everywhere. We have bases everywhere. Our father stopped caring about the most important things. When we were those young punk rock teenagers in 1776, we were like, I'm not going to be like you, Dad. I'm going to care about life and liberty and happiness. And that's what I'm going to do. And then 20 years later, 
we become our dad. All we care about now is empire and rule of law. And that's all we care about now. And that spirit that we had in 1776, you know, that, oh, you know, grow up, grow up, get a haircut, you hippie. That's who we become. And I'm not happy with that. That spirit that we that we had of I'm not going to be like you, dad, is something we've lost. And I don't know if we can get it back. Yeah, and I want us to. So that's a great uh, setup for a, one of the questions I had for you today, sir. So first of all, let me start off by saying this. Um, given the Republican and the Democrat situation, the two-party system, um, for those of us truth seekers, like we said, that really have a genuine desire to do its best for the whole and for everybody. And whether you view that through a libertarian or a socialist or a whatever lens you view the world, um, I always bring up Eric Fromm's uh, distinction between intelligence and reason. Intelligence is your ability to manipulate your environment to increase your standard of living, but reason has to have the best intention of the whole in mind. And so if we're going to break it down to those brass tacks from a political perspective, and say, what is it that is going on in our government that is preventing actual change, actual majority rule, like for lack of a better word, actual democracy, actual following of the Constitution, and this being the constitutional republic that it was supposed to be? What is it? What is the reason that it is so difficult for a third party or any other party than the Republicans and the Democrats to get ballot access. And I know you have a lot to say on this. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You said the one thing and I'll give you the one thing. And it's any organization. You know, my my day job, if you can see, is uh, a consultant. It's what I do. That says ex alto concilio victoria, which means from great council victory. This is this is what I do on a daily basis. I deal with organizations. And our nation has done the same thing. The number one issue is inertia. This is what happens. It, you're, you, can, you can't coast uphill. You can only coast downhill. We've been coasting for decades. For After sure. World War II, we've just been coasting. Totally and we're sure. coasting downhill. And as you keep coasting downhill, no one's really running things. It becomes so big, it moves because it moves. That's inertia. You look at the judges. Most of the judges, I mean, you have some here or there who doesn't mean decently. But most just, what did the last guy say? Okay, that. Right. Oh, let's not fight. Let's not change it because the other guy did it this way. Wait a minute. I can make money this way. I'm just going to make money. Oh, I don't. Oh, I'm going to keep this way. And how do I know this? Look at our last four presidents. Um, Bush. I'm um, sorry. Uh, not including Biden. This not include Biden. The four yeah. prior to Biden. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, it's Clinton, Bush, Obama and Trump. The first years of both Bush and Clinton were pretty good years for them, whether you like, whether you lean left or right, whichever you prefer, right? Either way, they still got their agenda pretty well. Trump struggled and so did Obama in the first term. If you noticed, a lot of stuff Trump was trying to achieve, he didn't finish, right? Obama got two terms, so he was able to finish his. But Trump couldn't finish a lot of stuff he wanted to try, he wanted to start, right? Why? Because the guys who had been governors before knew how to play the game. They had already played it in the state before. They exactly how to play the game. They were establishment guys. Again, whether you're left or right, they were Bo- Clinton and Bush were totally established. Yep. Correct. They were. For sure. Obama and Trump were not. Relatively, they were outsiders, right? A Trump more than Obama. But rel- again, it's relative. Right. Relatively, they were outsiders. They didn't know how this stuff worked. They walked in and struggled. 
And the establishment that was there, what some people call the deep state, I call the bureaucracy, whatever you want to call it, those people, the permanent Washington, they want to keep stuff the way it is. They, sure. you know what, they're making their money. Things are going well. They got the power, right? Look, you look, Mr. Obama, Mr. Trump, don't get in my way. I, I got money to make. And I feel like that's the biggest chunk. Everything has become about inertia, making money, keeping the status quo. And then it's not status quo is by default, stupid or bad. And so anyone trying to do that is going to be stifled. I'm one of those examples at a very local level, obviously. They stifle me too. If if anyone's been following me, if any of your audience have been following me, I'm always giving actual answers for things. If people ask me a question, I give you an actual policy Absolutely. that will try to solve the problem. It's not perfect. No policy is perfect, but it's an actual attempt to solve the problem. And if you care about the problem, you can talk to me. Go, Larry, what about this? What about that? How do we fix this? Because you care about the problem. Democrats and Republicans don't want to solve problems because 100%. if they solve problems, they can't use it as a wedge issue to fear monger you into voting for them. They're not going to help you. They're going to defend you against the bad guy. That's all they do. So now what winds up happening is a victory in modern American politics is not my life getting better. A victory is I got the other guy. The other guy lost. So I own the lib or I beat the Trump supporter or depending upon where I come from. Right. I just I got the other guy. See Us versus them. Yep. Correct. And it's all about winning and beating the other and not about my life getting any better. And that's why our lives don't get better. We yep. just keep thinking we're winning. And I would argue with anyone who would say, but Larry, the left, Larry, the right. Don't forget this. Bush got us Obama. Obama got us Trump. Trump got us Biden. Absolutely. Who's winning? Yeah. Right? It reminds Nobody's me winning. Of, it reminds me of Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. It's like at Absolutely. some point, you're going to have to break the cycle. And I, I, I always explain the two-party system as this holding pattern for your mind it's like this little it's like a, it's like an airplane and a holding pattern it can't land yet but it's not really going anywhere we're just going to keep you thinking about these topics and this certain little framework like noam chomsky likes to talk about you know but in within that framework you allow for lively debate you get yep a hundred thousand shows by a you know target market demographic are you a Good old boy from the South, we got a new show for you. Are you a left-wing woke kid from San Francisco? We got a show for you. All owned by the same five big Absolutely. companies yes. that fund both sides yes. of the campaign. So let me ask you this. So yep. was there some form of legislation or a series of sets of legislation that was passed over time that created this environment? where we need to raise this exponential amount of money, even to be able to get into a debate, even yep. to be able to get on the ballot. Like, how yep. did we get here? Let what me cover think? two things. The first one is Ross Perot. Ross Perot Perf. scared the yep. hell out of Democrat Republicans. For sure. He scared. You were around for that. You remember him, right? Yep. He scared. And I voted for him. I thought he was going to save the world. <laughs> Clearly, I was wrong. But I did. I was a young kid. Though. I, I, he's going to save the world. Ross Perot is going to save everybody. Sure. I, I believed it, right? I bought it. I felt the same it. way about Ron Paul. Felt the same way about There Ron we go. Paul. Yes, yeah. going to save the world, 100%, right? Sure. So so Ron Paul, I'm not sorry, Ron Paul. Um, so um, Ross Perot comes in, 
And the second that happened, he got like 15 or 20% of the voters or some number, whatever it was, a big chunk. And whatever that chunk was, he went, that's it. They then started a commission for presidential deba- uh, debates run bipartisan by the Democrats, Republicans. And once that happened, all of a sudden now, boom, they start controlling. Now, what also happened is news went to cable. When cable news happened, the most important thing for news is news became profit-driven. Once this became profit-driven, what mattered is ad revenue. So what two parties spend the most money on ads? Democrats, Republicans. Constantly, they spend the money on ads. It's all about that. Always follow the money, right? That's 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 always, right? So they start bringing all that cash in. Well, here I am, Mr. Third Party Guy, and I say, hi, would you please do me a favor and cover me on your newspaper or cover me in your TV show? And they go, great. Did you buy any ads? And I go, well, no. Well, no, you have to buy ads. I'm not joking. That is actually how it works. Literally, I I, got, I had a buddy of mine who was running as a libertarian. We raised a bunch of money for him. We got about $10,000, and he put together an ad package for a local TV station. Literally, once the check was signed, he said, let me introduce you to our political reporter. Literally, pay, for, pay to play. Literal. So you might go, I have the best ideas. Nobody cares. Do you have the cash to buy? Now, I'm still not done. Now, once that happens, do something else. If you notice, lots of times you'll find commercials for the people for blah, blah, blah on a show that makes no sense. Why would they spend money on this? It is to control the narrative. So now they wind up having control over the narrative. And I remember one, this was years ago. It's a company called Kerr McGee. Kerr McGee in their advertisement, I'm not joking, was talking about how they build offshore oil platforms. Who buys offshore oil platforms from a Sunday morning show? <laughs> Nobody does, right? So they, they, whether they were selling anything, they literally just made a commercial, which is probably one of their, their corporate videos, just to buy time so they can tell the station, do as we say or we'll wow. pull these ads. It's just the way of controlling the narrative. So right. now you have big money controlling the narrative. That was the beginnings, but there's more. Then you have two more things happen. Number one, you have Bill Clinton break down the wall between banking, between investment banking and savings and loans. Glass-Steagall. Once that happens, the money is everywhere. Everybody's oh, money is everywhere. Great great you point. then add on top of that the Citizens United, which oh, I'm sure. not against <laughs> money being free, free speech. I believe it is. My problem is only one piece of this, corporations being people. I was That's just going to say, corporation is a person? Yes or no? <laughs> yep. Right? Because the problem is, if it is, and it isn't, it's, it, it's all a lie. It's all, again, for money. Why? Because now, if corporates are people, now unions can donate. Unions back Democrats. But not just that. PACs can donate. PACs can support anybody. And PACs are invisible. So now, you have to know who's running things. And, and obviously, they're not. Because if corporations were people... Well, then you can't subpoena anything out of a corporation. Do you know why? It has Fifth Amendment rights. So it can just plead the fifth and say no. But it can't do that, can it? Which means it is not a person. It can own firearms, can't it? Well, it can't because it's not a person, is it? Right? 100%. So it, 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 it's not a person. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's only a person so it can give money away. In every other way, it's not a person. That's if all they did. A person, slow use it can vote. Yeah, but it could also vote then, right? So if I wanted to, I could create two, 250 LLCs, each gets a vote, and I can then take over uh, a small area, couldn't I? Because they all are people. Lover. 
and then they all get votes, right? But they don't get votes because they're not people, so it's bullshit. So you add that, and that's another problem. Now, here's the other issue, though. You might go, Larry, but you're a libertarian. Don't you think that money is, is speech? I do. But I think it should be very simple. If you actually want to make this fair, you allow anyone to give whatever they want, but it must be 100% transparent. And what people say is, but Larry, if it's transparent, then some guy will write you a check for $10 million. Yes, and that will be awesome. I'd have a chance at actually getting my, my word out. But you'd win. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I wouldn't win because if money was all that mattered, it'd be President Bloomberg right now, wouldn't there? For sure. There's 100%. no President Bloomberg. Yep. So it isn't only about money. The data is in. We'd have President Schultz. We'd have we'd have President, I don't know, uh, Bill Gates. We'd have President Jeff Bezos, right? If if yeah. money's all that mattered, no, because what happened is once Bloomberg started writing checks, everybody knew Bloomberg was buying it and nobody liked it. The taste in the mouth of the average American was like, Too obvious. I don't like that. Too sure. Exactly. You Too should obvious. have to wear it on your sleeve. Here's my guys. Here's my guys. Here's who's backing me. And if you like the guys who back me, you're fine. You'll vote for me because you trust the guys who back me. But if I got other people backing me you don't trust, you don't care how much money I spend. So, so do you think that that? I'm sorry, did I go be, too far? I apologize. No, not at all. No, not at all. I'm just, I'm just. Everything that you're saying is firing my brain off in a different direction. So, uh, based on what you just said, so it's kind of this this arbitrary gatekeeper has been created through human nature and just the the way that we are money driven and yeah. So, so what would you say to? A socialist or a lefty that would say, well, that can be construed as a critique of capitalism because it's so finance and bottom line based, then isn't that a failure of capitalism? And but, how do we correct mm -hmm. for that through government legislation or can we even? Is it just yep, a, a fact of human nature at this point? It's a great question. And I get it often. And where socialists, I'll tell you what socialists have it right and what they have it wrong. Most of what they have is completely wrong, but they have one thing right. I'm going to give them all the wrong and I will give them the one right thing. Sure. Where, where they're wrong is all of this isn't about capitalism. It's about oligarchy and monopoly supported by government. For That's sure. the issue. Yep. If it was actual capitalism, then there wouldn't be oligarchs. Then there wouldn't be monopolies, right? If It wouldn't happen because you don't want to knock down a Goliath with another Goliath because you just replaced Goliaths. What you want to do is create a bunch of Davids. So that every single time a Goliath comes up, the David's knock him down. Now the Goliath, David's knock him down. Yep. And capitalism allows for tons of Goliaths. I mean, uh, David's. Well, Larry, that's not true. If it's not true, how did Amazon come up? Now, all of these, these companies that popped up was because the government wasn't watching. When the government doesn't watch, <laughs> David's come up. When the government watches, the government keeps control of all the Goliaths. And the good, best example I can give you is pharmaceuticals. Right? Oh, for sure. Why in the world is cannabis still Schedule One? Why do we have to fight for shrooms? Why? 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 Why is vaping bad? Right? Why are all these things so banned and bad? Meanwhile, most of our addicts in our country that's destroying us came from pharmaceuticals, right? And yeah. tobacco is far worse than vaping. Whatever you might think about vaping, tobacco is far worse. Whatever your view on vaping is, but they they're fine. Why? Because government controls and supports those oligarchies and monopolies. So. They, they, and, and again, here's the worst part. You find what socialists say is, well, if government would control it, my response is, oh, so you like monopoly. And they go, no, we use government. Government is by default the monopoly. 
One that, by the way, no recourse. At least if there is a monopoly in the market, as, as bad as that is, I'm against all monopolies. But at least in the market, there is a chance you can simply not buy stuff, right? You have some recourse Choice. against no. a monopoly in the market, some recourse. You have none in the government, zero. Yep. Well, we'll vote. Why? It's a monopoly. They just keep doing the same thing. There's no recourse in government. So the, the socialists are completely wrong on this. Here's where they're right, though. I'm going to give them credit. The socialists say things like, well, why can't you pay for my school? Or why can't you pay for my rent? Or why can't you pay my so-and-so? And a capitalist might go, well, you didn't earn it. And what they will say is, neither did the people we keep spending billions of dollars overseas on. And they're right. If we can drop $40 billion in Ukraine, X billion dollars in Saudi Arabia, yep. X trillion dollars in, in Afghanistan, why can't we pay for their college or school or something? The government behavior creates that argument, and then they run with it. Yep, that's a really good point. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. on that one, they kind, they kind of got us on that one, right? I'm going to yep. give them credit where credit is due. For sure. Not going to be oh, wrong. Absolutely. As a libertarian, I don't want any of that spending, right? None of right. it. But if we're going to put a trillion dollars in Afghanistan, I get why they want us to pay off their college loans. I understand it at least. Yeah. So, interesting. So, um, I wanted to kind of segue into something I heard you say on the Welsh Republic podcast um, that I really, really found interesting. And it kind of lines up with what, what we're talking about right now. I heard you say that uh, the powers that be, quote unquote, aren't necessarily intentionally being malicious with their yep. behavior. But what they are is they're more apathetic. Correct. And I find that distinction very interesting and very right on. So I wanted to ask you if that's true, therefore, uh, then what do you think causes that apathy? Is it the media? Are, are we all victims of the programming and the propaganda, no matter what your class level is, if you're the poorest person in the country or you're a, a, a new aristocrat at the over six, seven figure a year income, whatever, however you want to make the class distinction, you know, if you don't think that it's like a conspiratorial, we're intentionally doing this, setting things up in order to keep total control. If it's not malicious and it is just apathy, I logically think that apathy follows stupidity and laziness in, in a frame of reference, general frame. So I wanted to ask you about that and, and have you expound on that. Like, where does this apathy come from? Let me touch a couple pieces. The first thing is the difference between wealthy and non-wealthy about class. The wealthy people don't make money. They have money. For and sure. there's a big yep. difference, right? Their income is basically irrelevant because they have achieved so much wealth, they make money based upon the money they have, right? They're loaning and borrowing based upon the assets that they own right now. Their income is actually irrelevant. What matters is their net worth. So that's the biggest difference between someone who is wealthy and say, doing well or rich or middle class. They already have so much money. Most, some of your audience may not know what a family office is. A family office is literally a company that is put together, often small, but sometimes larger, to take care of someone's money. They have so much money in their family, they require tons of people to take Rough. care of it. Roughly. Yes. They literally have to hire people to take <laughs> care of their money. They have so much of it. They're called family offices. There are many of them throughout the, about the country. So that person 
is what I consider wealthy, right? I got to hire people because I got too much money, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm talking about, right? So in any case, that's wealthy, right? The, and, the, and when you say apathy becomes stupid, not necessarily. Here's what I mean by that. Someone who is not wealthy, they begin to believe they can't win. So apathy seems stupid, but it's actually just surrender. It makes any sense. It's just surrender. Oh, just stop yeah. caring. You just give up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can't make it. Whatever. I don't really have. I don't think somebody's going to win. I can't win. I don't vote. I don't. It doesn't matter. Then anytime I find because I basically surrendered and I'm taking L's every day of my life, basically, the second I find something I can jump on where I can get a W, I jump on it with a vigor, no matter That's what it is, point. whether great it makes point. sense or not. I don't care what it is. Oh, some guy's mad at. I don't know. We need a poo. Let's cancel Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. And then we cancel Winnie the Pooh. And I got a W, damn it. And then I go back to surrendering again. And I think, so that's where the people who aren't wealthy, the wealthiest people, they just do whatever they want. And because in our current society, our current society, what matters more than anything else is being popular, not being talented, not being smart, is being popular. So the wealthy just do things that make them more popular. And as long as they're popular, they never go away. The best example of this is Kim Kardashian, right? There are many of them, but that's the best one. Kim Kardashian has done more for criminal justice than the last four presidents, right? I'll tell you the truth. She has. And it's not because she's super smart. It's because, I mean, she might be. I don't know her at all, but it's because she's popular. That's the reason. Whether she's intelligent or not, I have no idea. But it's not because of that. It's because she's popular. So I'm going to bring that up. But my next piece. The apathy of the company. The apathy of a company is actually a good thing, right? Nonprofits are non-apathetic, as they should. They have a purpose to do something to achieve a goal. Right. Right. Corporations are, by default, apathetic. Their, their goal is to make money. So what does that mean? Making money itself isn't bad. Many sources will tell you that that is bad. It's not bad. Profit is not a bad thing. Money is not a bad It's a tool. If you right. use it poorly, it's bad. Use it well, it's good, right? If I feed the homeless... My money's awesome. If I hire hitmen to kill people, it's bad, right? Right. Whatever. But my point being, if we understand it to be true, and why using that distinction is so important, if I believe all corporations are evil, I will start a war on corporations and a war on the wealthy. When they fight back, they will win. Why? Because they are wealthy, which is why they keep winning, right? This war on the rich is not working. It does not work, never has worked, will not work, right? The only way it actually works is through violence. And when the violence is done, you know who's in charge? The wealthy again, because they sponsor the violence. It's just different wealthy. <laughs> so, sure. so it's like the Taliban yeah. being replaced by Taliban. But now I'm going to the next piece. If we accept them as apathetic, then just change the, the, the environment to make giving money good. I'll give you an example locally and then um, and internationally. Locally, in New, York, in New York City, we have a ton of bridges and tunnels. So I say, why don't we instead of naming them after uh, some governor or some mayor or something, allow them to be to lease the naming rights of a bridge. So the bridge is not the RFK bridge, but instead it's the Pepsi bridge or the Google bridge or whatever bridge. They'll pay $100 million per year. Now the wealthy are paying that. What are they getting for it? They're getting insanely awesome marketing. It's part of their their branding budget. And then we take the money and we make cheaper um, subway rides for the working poor and middle class. Huh. So if I think that way, I can get the wealthy to do that. Now, the other one that you and I know very well, internationally, the military-industrial complex. 
People think the military industrial complex is evil. It isn't. It's apathetic. It just wants to make lots of money and sell hardware at high pricing. And it can do so. If that happens to kill people, okay. If it happens to not kill people, okay. They don't really care. They just want to keep selling stuff at high margins, high tech stuff. That's all they care about. Well, what if we instead, instead of fighting wars, instead took the actual uh, um, countries that we're now embargoing, opened them all right away. We can now sell to Iran, North Korea, Cuba, all of them. And the mill industrial complex companies now, instead, they get, I don't know, five years specialized trading partner status. So you're, so you're incentivizing bad people, possibly, to do good things. And I'm not incentivizing only apathetic them. people to do good right. things. Ah, gotcha. Okay. There you go. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. They don't that's, care that's, how they make their money. If it happens to kill people, oh, well. If it doesn't, also, oh, well. We just want to sell hardware at yeah. high pricing to people. Well, let's give them another place to sell the hardware. Now they'll sell whatever. I don't know, microwaves or trucks or something. I don't care. Whatever you want to sell. Uh, cars, whatever. They'll sell the yeah. other things to them. They don't care. They're making profit money. That They don't care. This yeah. time it doesn't kill people, though. So, so if we're going to solve those problems, is, is it, you know, how do you feel about a market-based approach? Like if it's capitalism and, and market, um, you know, behavior that is causing these things to go down, that, or t- to happen, not when I, that's what not. I, mean I say go down, then is it more capitalism and entrepreneurship that we should be no, using to fix it? Or is it government that should be fixing and regulating that kind of stuff? The issue here is, uh, the premise, what you said, is it capitalism and markets? It's not. Markets right. wouldn't have ever shut down North Korea. Markets wouldn't start a war. Yeah. Markets want to trade. Markets wouldn't stop. Markets wouldn't shut down the economy. Yeah. Right? Only government can do that. Yeah. Markets don't do that. Why would a market not sell to, I don't know, Iran or Cuba? Mm-hmm. Of course not. That's, that's why we have black markets, because the market keeps going. It's just a black market. <laughs> never stops. Yeah. It never stops. Yeah, right? Never uh, stops. What the market says that the reason why we have a drug problem in America is not because of drugs. It's because of the government. Now I'm be very clear about this. And I and I remember I remember once a woman saying, you know, Larry, how can you how can you be for legalizing drugs? You know, my my I think it was I think it was our nephew. My nephew, you know, died of a drug overdose. And I said, Can I ask you? Um, your nephew, he probably came out of rehab or something and then got a bad dose. She's like, yes. And they died. I said, great. I said, I understand. Thank you. I said, drugs didn't kill your son. The war on drugs killed your son. Government killed your son. To be mad at somebody, be mad at the last eight presidents. That's who killed your son. Yeah. Because your son wouldn't have had to go through what he went through if, if safe legal drugs were available. If, there were, if a cannabis product was available, your son would have never gotten on those painkillers. He'd use a cannabis product you would never use those opioids that were authorized by the FDA and pushed on your son to get him hooked in the first place. And not just that, even when he ran out, if he ran out of his drug, because it's illegal, he can't come home to his family and friends. He's got to go to a den with bad people. He can't get the help that he needs when he's in trouble. So he couldn't even get any, get any help. But not just that. Meth wouldn't exist. Heroin wouldn't exist. Fentanyl wouldn't be a thing if people could use safer drugs. How do I know that? I worked in New York City. I worked with Wall Street. Lots of them do drugs. None of them overdose. Why? Because they're wealthy. They take safe drugs. They take cocaine. Or now many of them will snort Adderall. 
They'll take Adderall. There's no Adderall. They'll take cocaine. Those are safe drugs. The wealthy people take safe drugs, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. why are those why are those drugs so expensive? Because of the war on drugs. So that's not the market. That's the problem. It's not the market. It is government getting in the way of the market. There is no way a market wants to kill its customers. That's not what markets do. Right. Black markets do that because they have no choice. Right. So are you but making the case for mild that. regulation in a, in a way then? Of course. You Look, yeah. you want, you want a regulation. Some regulation. You do. Yeah. Of course you do. Please, of course. I'm not for yeah. a regulation. Of course. And the sure. number one regulation has to be, when it comes to markets, transparency and anti-fraud. Those are crimes, right? Yeah. Those are crimes and people should go to jail. And more importantly, you have to break the corporate veil, right? Government protects corporations, right? So here's how it actually works in, in reality. There's seven people in a room. They're all corporate guys, gals. And someone comes in and says, hey, I got this plan for us to make $100 million. And they go, great. What's the plan? We're going to do this. What could go wrong? Well, it's possible there'll be a terrible spill and lots of people will die and it could be bad. Oh, then what happens? Well, the private cost is about $10 million total. The lawyer will tell you, yeah, about $10 million, EPA will kick in. They'll make sure it'll cover us. The super fund will cover us for the rest. So yeah, we might lose $10 million, but overall, we'll still make $90 million. Oh, awesome. Done. Then they go to lunch. They don't care about what happens. They don't even hear about it ever again. The they make $90 million, and it's done. But what if instead, the lawyer comes in and says, well, if things go bad, it costs about $10 million, and... Um, they might come after you personally for making that decision. If they come after you personally, you either might go to jail or have to pay that ten million dollars out of your pocket. Oh, okay. Let's let's have a conversation Different now. Story. Yeah, let's have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. And the problem is, the government protects the people and corporations. You might go, Larry, isn't that libertarian? No, libertarian is individual responsibility. If you're making decisions that hurt people, that's a crime. Pay the price. Yeah, absolutely. You won't have that happen. So interesting. So with all that being said, and um, you know, it uh, like we we spoke earlier about, it, especially our younger generation, when we were talking about people throwing in the towel and giving up and feeling if you've been yep. told uh, that you're everything's messed up and there's no hope and you're just getting you're taking L's every day, like you said, and. Now we live in a world where, I mean, not a day goes by anymore where I'm not hearing someone talking about conspiratorial things like the plans of the World Economic Forum and this yep. new world order and all this stuff. So so what would you say to someone that asks, hey, are we wasting our time by having these conversations about how we're going to make change policy change, how we're going to be more honest and transparent, how we're going to provide more oversight, how we're going to make life better for everybody and not just those people at the top. And and with that whole argument and that set of conversations that we all have, there is a group of us that says, you know what? I still feel like it's too late because now we have all these rich, aristocratic, affluent people around the world meeting allegedly having secret meetings creating secret plans for the world allegedly. not even secret man yeah not, not even anymore. secret anymore oh yeah they do it out open now so 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 to to finish yes. my question on that thought then what do we do is there still hope should we just throw in the towel and let them have their new world order or what you know 
what is the path to a better standard of living, a better status quo, and a, a country where the bottom line isn't always the most important thing. Where, like, I had a conversation with a buddy of mine. Uh, he's an entrepreneur from San Francisco, and he brought up this concept that I love this term ethical, moral capitalism. A lot of us make the make the case that capitalism and the free market in and of itself is moral. But how do we sell those ideas to these kids that feel left out, feel hopeless? And oh, now you're going go, too. you got too many questions on me now. You got to know where to I, I got to bring it down. Help me bring it back. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Let me see if I can deal with a couple of these. Um, okay. The first thing is, of course, we believe in conspiracy theories. Why wouldn't we? We don't trust our institutions anymore, right? Our institutions have failed us so many times, sure. right? And they and never once does any institution that fails us go, hey, you know what? We screwed up. We were wrong. Sorry. Let me show you what actually happened. And please forgive us and we'll do better. That never happens. If that actually would have happened, imagine if that we wouldn't believe them. That's how rarely that happens. <laughs> so that means, right? We would be like, yeah. what, what's, what's going on? Like that would be its own conspiracy theory because it yeah. so rarely happens. So we would need all of our government to all of a sudden begin to do this over the course of decades before we'd go, oh, now I trust them. So what's the odds of that happening? Eh, don't hold right. your breath, right? Yeah. But, but saying, but that's what would have to happen. So that's why people believe because they're constantly making mistakes constantly lying about it, constantly covering up, never coming clean. So of course, right? The the amount of people who believe conspiracy theories is a symptom of a broken system. That's what it is. And and, it's, and the sad part is some of those conspiracies, they're real. Oh, and yeah. that's the worst part because <laughs> if you do 10 of them, two are probably real. And then we find out later, holy crap, that guy was it nuts. He was right. That exactly was true. <laughs> so now I start thinking, wait a minute. What was the other eight? Yeah. Maybe they really are Jewish space lasers. Right now I start thinking maybe right. they really are. Right? So because yeah. the other ones, they were real too. So that's a symptom of a broken system. That kind of thing shouldn't exist. I, all the time when people say things like, well, the government did this. I want to say in my heart, no, they couldn't have done that. But I don't. I go, yeah, they probably did. Like that just yeah. <laughs> so that's a yeah. symptom, number one. Okay. Um, the second piece, what can we do? There are three options, only three, in my view. Option one is surrender to the new world order. That's option one. I don't want to do that. But yeah, some yeah. people have already, and I understand why somebody would. It's a daunting task or anything else. Live my life to the best of my ability, grift while the grifting's good. Whatever happens, happens. Good luck. Right? That seems like the and trend, I think, yeah. Correct. And I think most politicians are doing that. Most politicians are grifting while the grifting's good. Option two, violence. I don't want that one, right? But if we keep going, that's where it always ends. Yeah. I always tell my, I tell people who, who know me well, and I'll say it to you, if we don't fix things, it always ends one place, the gallows. And that's throughout history, all the time, every single time. That's a 100% rule. That's where it ends. The that, rem that reminds me of uh, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat. It's like a, it's like Absolutely. a broken record just keeps happening yep. throughout history. So, but the yep. third option is the one that I'm trying to do, which is to not surrender, 
to use the Gandhi method, right? Gandhi was like, let's not be violent. You know, the he said the old, an eye for an eye and we all go blind. You know, try to keep going, try to convince people, they're your neighbors, try to love them, get them on your side. Now, uh, there's a famous um, interview he did, I think it was Life Magazine, where the woman says to him, it's during World War II, when, when she, she asked this question, she goes, I know you're non-compliance and you're non-violent thing, but could that work against Hitler? And he says, not without defeats, right? Not without defeats. Don't you have defeats when you fight Hitler? She's like, yeah, he whips her ass a couple of times. Yes, that's, yes, we lose too. And I think there's the hardest part, which is, and I deal with it, right? Taking the L, but getting back up, right? That's the resilience that so many veterans have. We've been taught that. We, we, you, we fell down, we took casualties, get back in the fight. We took casualties, get back in the fight. If more of us get back into the fight again, one or two things happens. One, we win. That's awesome. I hope we do. But you know what, Andrew? Maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I'm too optimistic. Maybe the war's already over and we're going to have to bend to the new world order or violence comes. Either one. Either way, even if that's true, you guys like you and I having these conversations, we are setting things up for the future. Because after the bad stuff happens and it all collapses and you got to rebuild, someone's got to go, okay, now what do we do? Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm podcaster Andrew and Larry. He was talking about this apathy thing. Why don't we set up a better world so that the apathetic do the good stuff? Hey, that's a that's, great idea. Let's do now that. Now you're on board. Yeah. Bingo. And that's, and you know what? And that's, uh, I talked a good friend of mine, Sam Winchester. He has a podcast called according to Sam, very intelligent guy. And, uh, we had a conversation one time where he said, you know what? We feel like, we're fighting the good fight. It, we're creating a legacy that others yes. can learn from no matter who you are. You know, that's why we, you know, we author books. That's why we want to hand down, you know, like in the past, it was oral traditions. Nowadays we have the, the written word. And, yep. you know, it, he also said something that really, I, I think that you will appreciate uh, because I know that you are a very determined, resilient guy. You're one of the hardest working politicians, aspiring governors I've ever seen. Uh, and he said that, 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 that work, the good work, the great work gives us purpose. And that's what we yes. need. And that's what these young 100%. kids need is purpose. Yes. They need someone to discipline them and direct them in the right direction, whether they came from a fatherless household or whatever trials and tribulations and traumas they experienced in their, their life. We all have them, but that yep. is our challenge is. We have to work through. The only way out is through. You have to go through it. You got to feel it. You got to learn from it. Scientific, scientific method, trial and error. That's how Absolutely. we learn anything. You know, but so- not just learn. I'll go one step further. It's how we grow and gain self-esteem, right? Oh, yeah. You don't get mm-hmm. self-esteem because I go, Andrew, you're an awesome guy. You don't gain self-esteem from that. <laughs> I'm just right. pumping you up. But right. now if I say, hey, Andrew, this thing you did, it was really good. And you go, wow, he's saying that my activity, my works, that's valuable. Now I gain self-esteem because yeah. now what I did was valuable. Hmm, I achieved I like that. something. That's where we gain self-esteem. And you're right. That's how we gain purpose, right? I, I say I'm writing a book on happiness. And there are three things that nice. people need to be happy. They have to feel loved. They have to feel respected. And they have to have purpose. If those three things it. are true, you're pretty much happy, right? Yeah. Why do I break it down? Because if you feel like you're not happy, you can realize you're missing one of them. 
right? What am I missing, right? Do I do I feel loved and have purpose but don't feel respected? Do I feel respected and loved but don't have purpose? Do I only have one? Do I have none? And how do you know you have none? You start becoming self-destructive. People who have none will become self-destructive. If you are listening to this podcast and you are becoming self-destructive, whether that's in your habits, your substance you're using, your relationships you're destroying, whatever it is, you are becoming self-destructive. If that's happening, you are lacking all three of them. Find them and change your life. I love that. I'm reading that book just based on that. That is so, because I mean, I'm guilty of that. I mean, there are definitely relationships I have destroyed. There are definitely walls that I have put up and things that I didn't face for a long time. And when I finally gathered the courage to one day say, I'm not running from this anymore. I'm done. I'm going to punch you in the face if I have to. And if it kills me, I don't care. I'm getting through this. I'm getting on the other side of this. I'm sick of living in this misery. And that's great advice, Larry. I really like that. I'm looking forward to hear to hearing you tell me when that book is coming out, my friend. That's a good January. January. Nice. January. Fantastic. Wow. I'll be looking for that. Um, so real quick, I wanted to throw this in there into the show today. Uh, I have a very libertarian-minded friend of mine. Uh, Moral Bob from the Hidden in Plain Sight podcast. And uh, he said to tell you, he said, tell him I really liked his sponsored roads ideas that you alluded to earlier uh, in the show today. And uh, drugs should be regulated like onions. (laughs) He loves that uh, from (laughs) you. And then he said, uh, my main question would probably be knowing that the government is highly corrupted. How do you see it possible to still use it to instill true freedom. That's a deep one. That's a deep question. So uh, how would you respond to that for our friend Moral Bob? The issue is movements for good or for bad always require someone at the top, right? We, we don't, we don't listen to senators or congressmen. They just, they're just like talking heads. The people who move things are always executives, mayors, governors, presidents, An executive has to be on top and set the tone. Number one, understanding how how bad it may be and realizing something else. They may not be the one who makes it work. They may be setting the stage for somebody else. And I say all the time, do I think I'm the guy to save the world? I don't. Do I think I'm the guy who could set it up for someone else to save it? Yes, I do. I think I can be the guy who breaks that hole so that someone else can walk in and go, oh, oh, I got this. And I can go, thank you. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> go do that. Go take yeah, the world. Pass the baton. <laughs> Thanks to, yeah. Go do this. I'm that. out. Yeah. So that if, is, if we, yeah. if that happens now, that sets the tone. In, in everything I try to do, I try to be very, I try to be insanely transparent. And sometimes that's bad. Like I, I, I will say, I'll tell about my past and what I've done. And I, I do it because yeah, I want you to trust it, me. Man. People respect But I have, a, I have a mindset, which is, Andrew, I can have you mad at me. I can also have it to where you disagree with me completely, aggressively disagree with me. But I can't have you not trust me because then we're finished. Right? Great point. Absolutely. If you trust me, you can go, Larry, you're stupid. This is wrong. What's wrong with you? Okay. We can have the conversation. But you believe I'm acting in good faith. You still think that we we could talk this out because you trust me. But the second you don't trust me, it doesn't matter. I've lost you. That's that's true I in the business world and 
and yeah, in the, your business life and in your personal life, it's the same. It's relationships, relationship building. 100%. Yeah, I love that. Um, yes, and, I think when you then, do that right, and then set an environment to where government isn't controlling, but government is watching. What does that mean by what I mean by that? Government's job should be, particularly state and federal government, should be to protect the rights of the individual from local bullies. There will always be bullies, right? That's just how it works. But if you're a strong individual yourself, you can fight off the bully. But a lot of people can't. That's when government should step in, right? When the local bully is not allowing you to, to exercise your rights. Government should step in and go, no, this person's an American. They get rights, whether they're strong or not. They get rights. Right. You don't get to stop it. And if you keep stopping it, I'm going to take away your rights. I'm going to put you in jail. So that is what government should be doing. If you focus on that, you'll have a better government and you can still use the same government apparatus, right? You make it a whole lot smaller, but there'll still be a government apparatus to protect people's rights against local bullies. You do that, you have a better world. Interesting. I like that. Um, That's actually, uh, we're just setting them up and knocking them down here. That segues perfectly into Bob's other question. So he says, uh, um, yeah, so he said, knowing the government's highly corrupted, how do you see it possible to still use it to instill the true freedom? And then he said, because I think it's impossible to get the right people in there. Yeah. Um, you know, where like, it, and that reminds me when we chat about this, Milton Friedman, right? Where are you going to find these angels? They're going to yes. organize society for us, right? Yeah. So that's one part of it. And then he says, oh, how do you do it? Hold on. I'll, I'll be very clear yeah. on this. Here's how yeah. you do it. Less power. The reason why bad people go towards government is there's so much power in government. Great point. If you Mm -hmm. take away the power, it's not sexy for the bad guys anymore, right? One of the things Mm -hmm. I said literally in New York State, there's 62 counties in New York State, and I said if more money stayed in each county, a lot of money stayed in the county, very little went to the state, there'll be less corruption. And people said, why? I said, here's why. If there's so much money in Albany, our capital, it's easy to get. I send one or two goons to go to Albany, he wins, I get a billion dollars. Yeah. That's cheap, that makes sense, good payoff. Sure but if I've got 62 counties, I gotta get like 60 some odd goons. And then I gotta hope each one of them does it and then my payoff is one sixty second of, eh, it's not worth it, I'll go someplace else. Right. So literally, if you don't make a juicy target, there'll be less bad guys around. So Great again, point. you can change the environment to lower corruption. Can I end corruption? No, that is impossible. Can I lower it? 100% yes, by changing the environment. So do you think that, you know, this quest for smaller government, uh, you know, let's just say we got to just some assumed arbitrary level of government. We got rid of, um, you know, costly programs that, uh, you know, don't have good results, you know, and... Um, and community has stepped up to assist local communities, have stepped to, to help people. And I, I hope that world comes. Yes, I'd love that world. Right. And, and so, you know, he, I think what he said, he said, um, he told me to ask, do you see a way to fund government voluntarily based on yep. this, 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 um, you know, historical realization that over time, if you don't do things the right way and if people don't have courage and they don't, um, you know, they continue to allow someone stronger, better, faster, smarter to, to if, if they allow themselves to doormat for these people, does it always degenerate into a growing government based on that? 
And yes. how do we train and teach people courage? Like you got to participate. You got to get involved. Yep. You can't live in a free society and go sit on the sidelines and expect everybody else to solve all of our problems for us. You know, he's hundred percent correct. It's very challenging. And yes, it will. If you don't make changes. So, which is why many libertarians will talk about abolish, abolish, abolish. I never talk about abolish. Right. right? What I talk about is government's always two things. It's a monopoly and a jobs program. Mm -hmm. So if you knock down that place, people lose their jobs and nothing's there. Mm -hmm. That's not good. People need help. People fall down. People are in trouble. They need help. I don't want people have to help. I just want community to support better. Yeah. Now, how do you do that? By creating environments that allow the community to begin to grow. My David versus Goliath thing, right? As I have more Davids in the community to pick up the, the, the pace, all of a sudden government becomes less valuable and it begins to go away. So that's what I want to achieve. That's not, that doesn't happen overnight. This, this didn't happen overnight. This has been happening over decades. Oh, absolutely. So it's going to take us time to, to ship back. And the COVID lockdown showed us this. As so many communities literally have forgotten how to take care of each other. They just, they've lost the institutional knowledge to do so because government's been involved. Whenever you add government, you by default remove community. So I want the reverse. So here's one policy I brought up in the past, which was the idea that I'll give you two separate ones. Okay. One of them is the idea of uh, allowing people who are paying taxes at, at the end of their year to write a check for 250 bucks that would go to government. Instead, it goes to any, any, any nonprofit in the state. If it's a local nonprofit in your county, it's double the 500 bucks. So you lose the money either way. The question is, you go to government or some local nonprofit. Why would that matter? Because it begins to show people that if you start creating nonprofits, community begins to grow. Now, what I get in response all the time is, but Larry, that's not scalable. That's a good thing. I don't want it scalable. I want mm -hmm. local people dealing with local issues in a way that makes the most sense that other people will copy if it works versus yeah. government doing one thing, checking a box and screwing everything up. So we start doing that. Now what happens? Well, now you're funding the community. So the community either gets better, right? Or it fails. If it fails, government's still there. You're, you're, it's still there. If community gets better, government now has to compete against the community. So either it gets better or it goes away. If it goes away, you can lower the taxes and other people can just pay directly, right? So it begins to change the way of doing things. But second, I have to have sponsoring fixing potholes. I'm very serious. We already have a world right now to where like, you know, uh, Domino's Pizza is already fixing potholes, right? Have them sponsor roads. The pushback I get is then they only fix the rich people roads, which is actually pretty stupid because poor people eat pizza too. It doesn't matter. We, lots of people like pizza. I mean, rich, poor, <laughs> middle class, whatever. People like right, pizza. Right. But fine. Let's say they're right. They're right. And they only fix rich people's potholes. Fine. We still have people who fix potholes. So now the people who fix potholes can now service the poor areas better. We right. still get better potholes either way, right? The potholes are fixed either way. And now what winds up happening is eventually other people see this. If Domino's does it, well, now Pizza wants to do it. And now McDonald's wants to do it. So now they start fixing our potholes for us. So we're funding pothole fixing by those people who like the delivery services. So right. if you use delivery services, you like the, your pizza company or McDonald's delivering to you, whatever you like, or Grubhub or whatever you like, well, they're the ones fixing the potholes. They're the ones using it. You are voluntarily fixing it because you like Grubhub. So you get to fix the, the, the roads. You're using them. Life I like that. You absolutely can do it. Yeah. So, you know, man, I, I love that because it it, it reminds me of uh, the argument of states' rights. And isn't it a better idea 
to have multiple experiments going on in different states yep. rather than one big experiment going on at the federal level where if the if that fails the the externalities the fallout from that is significantly worse than it would have been I if agree. it was just in a localized area so i love that idea yeah and that's my whole point about federal government now the federal government should be protecting citizens against state bullies right mm-hmm. so as states decide some state decides you know what if you're over six foot two, you are too tall, so you got to pay a tall people tax, right? Because you're too tall, so you got you got to pay an extra four thousand dollars every year because you're too damn tall, right? That is clearly a violation of tall people's rights. These days, that doesn't sound too ridiculous either. <laughs> I know that's the problem. That actually might be a thing, right? That's my whole point. But if that were to happen, the the federal government step in and go, whoa, 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 state, you decide who gets taxed, but it's everybody or nobody. You mm-hmm. can't say because you're too tall, yeah. you get a special tax. No, state the would, board. that's a local bully. State would mm-hmm. check in and go, uh, the federal government should step in and go, no, state, you don't get to do that. You tax yes. everybody or nobody. That's what federal government should be doing. Mm-hmm. Now that we're good then. Protecting rights is what the federal government should be doing. Yeah. It's like, uh, th- I think that reminds me of another Milton Friedman. It's like uh, government should be a referee and not an active participant. And that's where 100%. a lot of our problems comes from is they start to think that, oh, well, we can solve everything. Just give us the power to solve it. And then, you know, we all know how that happens typically. Well, but, but here's the next thing, right? <laughs> Once Let's say I come in and I decide, right? Again, I'll use your this tall person example. Right. And what I should be as a referee, you may not do that. Done. There's no money in that. But if instead I walk and I go, okay, hold on. All right. You can. I'm going to regulate this. I'm not going to say I'm going to regulate it. You can if you want to, you can if you want to, you can tax tall people as long as they're wearing blue hats. If they're wearing blue hats, then you can tax them. If they're not wearing blue hats, you can't. What did I just do? I just destroyed people who make blue hats. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what happens? My, now there's money in that because now I short the stock of people who make blue hats. So I just make cash to it. Once I regulate, then there's money. If I just say yes or no, there's no money in it. Good point. Yep. Right? So that's why I don't want to regulate. Or if I say, well, you don't have to tax anybody if they wear red shirts. Well, now I just go to people make red shirts and I and I buy their stock because it's about to explode. <laughs> yeah. Right? You, you know, you make some good points. Uh, I, I still, despite all of the very logical, well thought out, very cooperative pragmatic ideas that I believe that you have uh, something that you said once and I actually have a have it right here I think you posted this just a few days ago uh, and this I love that I love this meme you posted because it's a perfect example of how difficult uh, changing the minds of the masses is and you shared some people wouldn't know tyranny if it covered their faces locked them in their homes enacted the biggest wealth transfer in history, censored them, made them show papers, and force medicated them. And when you read that, you're you're like, gosh, that is, wow, like somebody actually did that to their people? And then I think about all the people that fell for it and still to this day believe 
that it was yep. all for the best intentions. It was the right thing yes. we did, no matter what fallout and what externalities came from that. Who gives a crap? We were doing the right thing for society. And if you disagree with me, then you should go off and die a horrible death as a MAGA fan or something. Like It's so binary remember. and ridiculous. Yep. It is a self-defense mechanism, though. Yeah. It's a self-defense yep. mechanism. How am I, so. the guy who was out there yelling at someone who was 20 years old and run and jogging and I'm yelling, put your mask on, you're going to yeah. kill your grandma. Right? I'm that guy. Now I'm going to come back and go, yeah, I was, yeah, boy, I was wrong on that one. So sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So but, instead I go, yeah, I know yes. every, all logic completely is against everything I said whatsoever, but <laughs> damn it, I'm still right. Otherwise I feel stupid and I don't want to feel stupid. So you're stupid. You know That's what scares what me, and it, what scares me about that is that that being that like neighborhood, you know, mask police officer yes. gave that person purpose in some weird. That was the win way. I was telling you about. Yeah, I mean, oh man, <laughs> that was uh, literally the win I was telling you about. 100%. People have been taking L's for so long. Any opportunity to get Anything. a W, you just jump on it because they've surrendered. Yes. Like more, Why do you think? Need, yeah. No, go ahead. Why do you think so many people spend so much time online playing different games and hanging out with their friends and being in Discord servers? Because within that small world, they can feel respected and they can get wins because they're not getting it in life. Yeah. yeah. And maybe, and I, you know what? A friend of mine said, you know, think about this before we criticize our young people uh, for being, you know, be, being such a vastly different day and age. You know, he, he, my friend Adam, he he, uh, he said, I would not want to be growing up in this world when, you know, being an elder millennial, a millennial or a Gen Xer, because, you know, you may have, he made a great point. You may have five friends in your real, you know, physical realm life, but you may have a thousand followers in your digital life. And when you're a young person going through adolescence, trying to figure out who you are, or what type of person you want to be. How do you decide what world to give more of your time and effort to? And boy, that thought blew my mind because it made me realize, you know what? My perspective is simply that. It's my perspective. The way I yep. think about things is because I'm not experiencing the world the way that a younger person or an older person is. And that's where that intellectual honesty and that courage and that desire to really do what's best for everybody and in so giving and, and being of service to your fellow men and women, you're actually being of service to yourself. And it is a selfish act, although it's a healthy selfishness, in my humble opinion. <laughs> so, yeah. What do you think about that? No, I, if I actually have a lot of sympathy for millennials. I mean, if you're a millennial, you grew up, you came out of college during the you know, 2008, 2009, 2010. Nothing was there for you. You were told a lie, which is go to college and there'll be this great, you know, job waiting for you. Blatant lie. Wasn't true. Has been true in 20 years. And they're still telling that lie to this day. You should hire that, that PR lie. team. You should hire the PR I know. team that sold us four-year colleges. That's a winner. Absolutely. <laughs> as, as the magic pill to solve everything. Meanwhile, I live here in New York City and I know more than one person who has a master's degree who's working at Starbucks. Right. Oh, so man. we're told that lie and collapsed. And as soon as things started getting better, well, like, now COVID locks them all down and lose everything again. And now the recession's coming. My God. Can't I catch mean, a break. 
Yeah. Of course they think social isn't a good idea, right? A, a lot of people who are older, boomers, will be like, these young millennials, they think we owe them everything. We don't owe them nothing. You know what the millennials think? You told me a lie, boomer. You told me a lie and you oh. took my future. Yeah, you do owe me. That's what they think. Wow. So they don't think they're being selfish. They think they were defrauded and you owe them for lying to them. And, you know, again, I'll give it to them. A part of them, they're right. They got right. an argument there. There's an argument there point. for sure. Yeah. You got a point. So I I, well, I, I feel bad for them. Look, socialism yeah. is not the answer, but the example I'll give you is, is Soviet or pre-Soviet Russia in 1917. You're a serf. You are under the boot of the Romanovs for 300 years. Nothing's good. There have been a couple little revolts. They've all collapsed. People died. Life sucks. Here comes this guy named Lenin. Hey, this communism stuff. Tell you. It's going to be great. Everybody's yeah. going to be equal. It's no kings. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. It's going to just say everyone's <laughs> equal. It's going to be amazing. If you're a serf, you go, it's got to be better than this. So I'm in. <laughs> so you jump and you go in and you're all in on this thing because it's better than what I got now. Come to find out, no, not really. It's not really, you know, you don't, you still don't eat, right? You yeah. get, you get a cool, yep. you get a cool jacket. You do get a cool hat, but you don't eat still. Either way, you don't eat. So yeah. it wasn't as good as they thought it was. <laughs> but the point being, of course they thought that, right? If you and I were serfs, we would have bought that lie too. Of course we would have. Sure. All we saw was terrible life now. Some guy promising me something good. Yeah. I'll take it. And I think a lot of millennials are thinking the same thing. This life is not working for me now. The system we have now is bad. Bernie Sanders and hot AOC tells me socialism is the right way. All right, then. I'm in. Easy sell. Yeah. Easy yeah, sell. And they, I, think, I think Edward Bernays actually talked about, you know, propaganda is made much more effective by charismatic figureheads that are distributing those messages. And that's a good point is that. You, all you have to do is find the person, the politician, the talking head, whatever, that is saying what you like to hear, and it's easy and comfortable, and you just slide right into that. You know, the, the, the um, you know, JFK, all too often we oh. enjoy the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. Thought is uncomfortable, and it should be. That is. And I think that the media and all the everything we always talk about is making it very easy. Uh, for these victim mentality young people to to perpetuate those thoughts and ideas. Uh, how we tackle that in the big tech era? It, what do you think about Same that? Same thing, right? The, yeah. the adva- we have to find the new thing, right? Whatever the new thing is. When, mm-hmm. when Obama ran, the new thing was email, right? When Trump ran, the new thing was Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. You got to find the new thing that's doing the right. Is it TikTok? Oh, I don't know. I'm making that note if it is. Yeah, but whatever. It's whatever the new thing is. And the second thing, though, is why is Bernie Sanders still to this day so damn popular? There's a very simple reason. That guy is consistent. I think consistently wrong, but that isn't the point. The point is he is consistent. That guy says the same message again and again and again. And people go, God, he really believes it. And that goes back to my earlier point. Honesty and trust matter. And people Absolutely. trust him and they think he's honest because he's consistent. It doesn't matter if he's right or wrong. I wish that wasn't true, but yeah. it doesn't because so many people have been lying to them, literally <laughs> lying to them for years, 
finally, some guy who just tell him what he really thinks. It's the truth. Oh, my God. I love this guy. You're people. I remember I had a lot of buddies in 2016 who had voted Democrat most of their life. I, I live in New York State. Most people are Democrats, right? Mm -hmm. But they voted for Trump in 2016. And I asked him, I said, why did you vote for Trump in 2016? I don't care. You've been voting Democrat for years. Why Trump? <laughs> and every time it had nothing to do with his policy. Nothing. Oh, yeah. Every time I'm like, eh, I trust the guy. I think he's telling the truth. Again and again and again, I heard well, that. I'm like, wow. Yep. Yes. When you get lied to so much, the one guy who you think is telling the truth, you go, all right, I'm in. And I think that's Bernie. If you look at 2016 as an example of this, if the Democratic Party didn't put his thumb on the scale, Bernie, it's Bernie versus Trump. Two people who both sides, left or right, believed to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Whether they, regardless of policies, right? And here's right. The best, another example I'll give you. The guy in 2018 who ran my, who ran my uh, social media ran veterans for Bernie. And he came to me. And I was like, why? And in my head, I realized he saw Bernie as a rebel, right? Oh, yeah. He saw, Hil he saw Hillary Clinton as the poster child for the establishment, which she is. That's an mm -hmm. That is an accurate description. Absolutely. And that's how he saw her. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Bernie's not that. He's the rebel. And then when Bernie had booted out, he became a Trumpster. Again, not because he cared about Trump, but he saw Trump as the rebel. He was like, he's looking Trump for authenticity. He's looking for Bingo. passion and courage and, yeah. Uh, and, virtues and, and values that yeah that they identify with yeah so let's let's actually bring it back real quick uh to your campaign and to your history uh and your you know political uh political career so um you know can you give like a brief history of when you first decided to get into politics and and uh how that pathway has how that trajectory has gone to this very moment I'm not so sure I want to tell that bad story. I'm, <laughs> I'm not well, sure. Just out of curiosity uh, no. for people that uh, um, that are curious about, you know, the path you took to seeking the governor of, of New York. I know? actually came to the Libertarian Party not through a very odd way. Very few people came my way. I came through a guy named Robert Ringer. Robert Ringer is a, um, a business guru. He wrote many mm -hmm. books on business and branding and moving business forward. And I've, I've, been, I've been a business coach, trainer, teacher for, for since 2004. For 18 years. Mm -hmm. And so he, in his world, he is an, he's an objectivist, which for those who don't know, that's someone who, who follows Ayn Rand, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not an objectivist. He is, but in his advice was read Atlas Shrugged, right? Read Ayn Rand. Mm -hmm. So I did. I read Ayn Rand. And while objectivism is not libertarianism, there's a lot of overlap, right? There's a lot of overlap right. in those two things. They're both very anti-government. Right. So they're both overlap. So I was already kind of now primed through him hmm. to think, OK, maybe this government thing isn't right. Then um, on top of that, um, I was already teaching what I call post-industrial leadership. Post-industrial leadership is leadership to where your arms and legs are not as important as they used to be. Your brain is far more important. And I need your initiative. I need your intuition. I need your you know, assertive. I need all these things. I don't get that if you're not on board. So I've got to train leaders to get you to be on board with me, which is by default, volunteerism, right? Modern leadership Absolutely. is volunteerism. For sure. So if you, I got to get people, you got to be, you got to be like, Larry, I'm in. All right, I'm in. Get right? buy in. That's Absolutely. when I get, that's when I get the most out of you. So I was already mm -hmm. teaching that already. So with post-industrial leadership and Robert Ringer, I was primed for that to happen. After Obama, I was thoroughly disappointed. I was like, my God, even this guy isn't any change. 
Wow, nothing. Oh, he yeah. was literally a hope and change guy, and even he's not hope and change. So there's yeah. no chance. It's over. I was literally <laughs> like, I don't want to vote anymore. I was checking out. I was oh, at the point, I'm done. I'm, oh, checking yeah. out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm done. If Mr. Hope and Change is no hope and change, there's no hope and change. So right? many people agreed with that. Oh, sure. Oh, so yeah. by 2010, I was done. I'm like, there's no chance. But then I heard Gary Johnson speak in 2012. And Gary Johnson was a libertarian candidate for president in 2012. And Gary Johnson was speaking like an entrepreneur, which is what I was. He was speaking business and common sense, which is what I was. And I was like, these librarians are awesome. Oh, libertarians? Who are they? I don't care. I love them. They're awesome. So right. that was that's what I, I – so I, I joined up at that point. In 2014, I supported our gubernatorial candidate here in New York, a guy named Michael McDermott. I was his driver, and I also supported him um, with um, – uh, debate prep and things like that for his debates that he did in 2014. 2016, I decided I want to step into the actual ring myself, and I decided to run for the vice president slot internally within the Libertarian Party. I lost that uh, vote internally to Bill Weld, the governor of Massachusetts. So it was almost a uh, Johnson Sharp ticket instead it was a Johnson Weld ticket. I lost by 31 votes. Not that I'm counting, Andrew. No. You're counting. I'm not counting, Andrew. Stop. <laughs> you're counting. Anyway, uh, so. So I lost my 31 that's, votes. I mean, dude, that's a heartbreaker. That's a heartbreaker. It is. It was. It was. So not that I remember or anything. I'll think about it ever. Not that. Anyway. Who keeps track of this stuff, right? Who keeps I mean- track of 31 votes? No one does. Anyway, so um, so in any case, uh, so then in 2018, I thought, you know what? I'm running for governor. So, But I didn't decide it right away. What happened was, a little interesting story. I actually was going to leave. I was going to leave New York State. I was just tired of how bad it is. I was just tired. I was like, I got to go. But for what I do for a living, I have to be near a large city, right? I've got to be in, a, in or near a large city. So I thought, you know what Charlotte, North Carolina would do? It's a decent-sized city. Some big companies there. I could still make my money, make, pay my bills, do my job. So I went down and looked around, and I was like, my God, I could sell my shoebox of a house here in Queens, buy a mansion in, in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and still have tons of money left over, pay less taxes. Great. Oh, yeah. But instead of me moving, I got angry. And I thought, why does my state suck? Why does the state that I'm born in, raised in, my business, my family, my friends in, why do I have to leave? Why does my state suck so bad? My state is an amazing, beautiful, diverse, awesome state that has an oppressive government that's so bad it literally breaks up families. And I thought, you know what, Andrew, I'm going to go back and I'm going to become governor and I'm going to fix this. I I went back to do that. It did not go as I planned. However, in doing so, that's when I saw the horror of politics. That's when I saw how broken it was, how horrible it was, pay to play, follow the money. Running that campaign was 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 a master's degree in political science. Wow. Because it showed yeah. me exactly how things work. Mm-hmm. And then I got angry. So I stayed to do it again. But sadly, the system was ready for me this time. They weren't ready for me last time. They were not. They were ready for me this time. And this time they set up all their ducks in a row to crush me. And it worked. They set up a system that was virtually impossible for me or anyone else to get on. No one got in the ballot except for the top two candidates. Everyone else got, got thrown off the ballot. Then the Republicans and, and conservatives sued me when I got on the ballot to throw me off the ballot. Jeez. And they won. They threw me off the ballot. It's ridiculous. So now my campaign is now a write-in campaign because they threw me off the ballot. They were ready. I was, I'm going to be very clear. I'm polling at 7% and judges thought you can't be on the ballot. 100,000 people voted for me last time, and judges said, you can't be on the ballot. That is how corrupt and broken my state and the judges are. Did they believe that was true? So that so they were ready for me this time. I gotta tell, they were ready. They set up all their ducks in a row, 
caught me in a bad ambush. I'm still fighting. I am on you, the beach and I'm still fighting. Do you know what the do you know what the win is though? The win is everything we've been talking about. The chipping away slowly but surely, setting the example, setting that legacy for others to follow. It's Absolutely. not it's not a loss. It's not a loss, Larry. It's progress. No matter how slow well, it is, it's still progress. Do you have a lot of listeners in New York? Uh, quite a uh, quite a few. Uh, f- a few of my friends in the podcast game uh, are out of New York. Uh, Great Deception Podcast. Uh, um, yeah, I got a lot of guys from New York that I talk to. Tell them that they have to go on November 8th to that ballot and have to write in my name, Larry Sharp. To write my name in that ballot. If I get 130,000 write-in votes... The Libertarian Party will still retain ballot access. We will still be in the, uh, a party in New York State if I get 130,000 writing votes. Dear New York, that's the goal. Did you hear that? That's what we got to do to get Larry yes. in there in New York. Yep. Larry, I tell you what, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I, I have a lot Absolutely. of respect for what you're doing. Uh, I respect your military service, Semper Fi. I respect the fact that you aren't giving up and that you did what very few people in this country do. And you decided to face the problems and attempt to solve them rather than running away. And I have the utmost respect for that. And uh, thank you, brother. Thank, thank you. you so much for coming on my show. Uh, I'm pulling for you. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, and uh, is check there me out at LarrySharp.com. Well, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, where, where, where do you want uh, people to uh, come check out your campaign and where they can find uh, to follow you? LarrySharp.com or just Google Larry Sharp or go to all the interweb things, Larry Sharp, whether it's Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, all the things. I'm on all of them. Larry Sharp. All the socials. Sharp with an E. Yes. Larry Sharp with an E. Perfect. Uh, please come back and chat with me here on the show whenever you want. Open invitation. Uh, I would love to chat with you again. And um, I guess that's the show for today uh, for Larry, for myself. Uh, politics and punk rock podcast fans and listeners thank you for being here thank you for listening good night we will see you next time all right people i hope you enjoyed that interview uh citizens of new york what do you think you want to keep voting for a guy like andrew cuomo Or would you rather have a guy like Larry Sharp in there? Seems like a no-brainer to me. People, I love you guys. Thank you for listening. I'm going to not play any punk rock today. I want you guys to marinate on this conversation. Go back and listen to it again if you have to. There's a lot of good nuggets of information on a lot of topics. And I hope you all got something out of this conversation today, one way or the other, for better or for worse. Go to the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. Buy a t-shirt, donate to the show. I just joined TikTok, the cesspool that is TikTok. I'm on there now. I'm going to start doing some videos. I'm going to play some little uh, clips, hot, fresh uh, cuts. Hot takes, fresh cuts from uh, the episodes, and uh, I'm going to be promoting them on TikTok. I'll do some videos uh, in my Andrew for America character garb with my sweet glasses and my sweet hat. 
and my Politics and Punk Rock podcast t-shirt that you can purchase at politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. I love you guys once again. Thank you for listening. Good night. We'll see you next time. This has been episode 112 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast entitled Larry Sharp. We'll see you next time.